0: You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry, or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. My name is Jamin, and I'm also part of the college ministry at Citizens. Okay, I'll try anything at this this point. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 33. We're going to be in Psalm 33. It'll take us a bit. Uh, to get there. Um, If you are new, my name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Citizens and we're just so thrilled to welcome you here. Uh, If you are watching online, maybe this is your first time or maybe you've been doing that for a long time. Thank you for uh, joining us from wherever you are. Uh, We are in the Psalms. We've been in the Psalms for a couple weeks now and and really we've picked back up. We were in the Psalms again uh, back in August and what we've said is that the Psalms uh, are prayers because that's true. It's 150 poems and Uh, songs and prayers uh, that have been used by the people of God for thousands of years uh, as a prayer book. It was uh, the people in the Old Testament, it was their prayer guide for Jesus, it was how likely he learned to pray in his humanity. And if you were to read through the psalms, what you discover is that the psalms help us talk to God about things that are hard to talk to God about. And if you started in chapter 1 and you just read through, you would see that there are psalms about different subjects, different topics. There are psalms about doubt. There are psalms about sin. There are psalms about celebration. There are psalms about salvation. And you could see that that, that individual psalms kind of have a main idea, a lot of them do. What you could also do that I want to highlight in our time this morning, is you could start in Psalm 1 and you could read through, and what you'd find is that while there are some psalms that have a given subject, there is something that happens in almost every single psalm. There is a subject or there's an action that is the theme of entire psalms, but even for those that's not the major theme, it's thread throughout the psalms. And what it is, is it's gratitude. Thread throughout Almost all of the psalms is giving thanks, a thankfulness to God. So like Psalm 33 that we're going to look at in just a moment, the whole thing is about thanksgiving and what to thank God for. Other psalms, they just have a verse of thanksgiving. There are some psalms where there is gratitude present when you wouldn't expect it, like Psalm 42. It's a psalm about spiritual depression. But in verse 6, there's gratitude as he remembers what life used to be like. One of my favorites is in Psalm 6, David is asking God not to let him die And in Psalm 6, he prays, and the case he makes, his argument is, God, if I die, who's going to give you thanks? He says this, if there is, uh, in death there's no remembrance of you, in Sheol, who will give you thanks? In other words, if I'm dead, who will thank you like I do? Keep me alive, God, so I can continue to say thank you. Gratitude is thread all throughout these prayers. Maybe one way to think of it is this way, that gratitude, thanksgiving, is the refrain of the Psalms. If the psalms are songs, prayers, poems, then gratitude is the refrain. You know what a refrain is? In like a, a poem or a song, it's the repeated lines, right? I was in a coffee shop the other day, and I heard a song I hadn't heard in a while. It's one of my favorite songs. It's James Taylor's Fire and Rain. And you might not know that song, but you might know or be familiar with the refrain of the song. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend, and I always thought that I'd see you. Again, it's the repeated lines, right? It's the it's the content the song keeps coming back to. We have refrains in the songs that we just that we just sung, right? They're the repeated lines of the song. And, and what the refrain does is it carries a truth or an idea or a feeling throughout the entire work, right? Throughout the song, throughout the poem, it's repetition for the purpose of emphasis. If something is repeated. It's because there's a priority to it, right? If it's repeated, it's because it, it, wants, it wants something to stick with you. It's like, what's the line I want you singing most? Let's repeat that. What's the line I want you uh, remembering or reciting most? Okay, let's repeat that. It's the content that you come back to over and over again. Gratitude is the refrain of the Psalms, the repeated line. Consider these Psalms. Psalm 7, I will give thanks to the Lord. The thanks do His Righteousness. Psalm 9, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Psalm 18, for this I will thank the Lord among the nations. Psalm 26, I will give thanks aloud and tell of your wondrous deeds. Psalm 28, with my song, I will thank the Lord. Psalm 30, sing praise to the Lord and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 30, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Psalm 33, give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 35, I will thank you in the great congregation. That's 35 psalms into 150 of them. And those are just instances where a certain Hebrew word for thanksgiving is used. If you think about the fact that the word for thanksgiving and the word for praise can be used interchangeably, you see it's all over the psalms. Even gratitude that's implied or expressed in different ways. So the repeated lines of these psalms, the refrain of them is thank you, God. The line they keep coming back to, thank you, God. The heart, the truth that's on repeat, thank you, God. Take a step with me. If these prayers are for the people of God, preserved by God in His Word for you, Christian, as a follower of Jesus, that they would shape your life. And if the refrain of those prayers is gratitude, the refrain of the life of a Christian should be, thank you, God, the entire life. The entire scope of life, the lines that you keep coming back to in your mind, thank you, God. It's not the only line, to be sure. You know this if you've been here. There's also where are you, God, and there's times for that. There's also I'm hurting, God, and there's times for that. There's I'm in need, I'm rejoicing. Life is going well right now, God. But the one that's repeated most, the one that just spreads and is peppered throughout all of life, thank you, God. I wonder, is that the refrain of your life? Are those the lines that you come back to? Maybe think of it like this, if you will. If you were to take the words that you speak in a given week and write them all out on paper, if you were to take the thoughts that you think in, given, in a given day and write them all down on paper, and then you were to study those pages and see all of your words, and you were to look at them with a highlighter, with a, with a pen, and you were to go in and circle what's repeated, what would be the repeated lines that you speak? What would be the repeated thoughts that you think? And maybe what you'd, you'd find is that there's repeated lines of self-sufficiency, or there's a refrain of pride, or a refrain of fear and worry, or a refrain of cynicism, or maybe a refrain of criticism, critical of others, or critical of yourself. Is there, I wonder, a refrain of gratitude? How often is, is that sentiment of thank you, God, repeated? I was on Amazon the other day. Uh, this is actually a year ago, and I was looking um, for a book. You know how on Amazon they have the section that says, like, suggestions for you, you should buy this? And I think it's based on, like, because you bought this, you might also like this, but it always feels kind of creepy, like, how do they know they're watching, whatever. But under that was a book by a, a Christian author named Kristen Welch, and the book was called Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World. And I thought, I need that book. I need to read that book. Carrie and I had just had a conversation, actually, before I saw that about how uh, it seems that often our, our kids think that privileges are just owed to them, right? So their life is full of screens and sweets and fun activities and all that, and we want them to have those things. It's it's our It pleases us to give them those things, but we also don't want them to confuse wants and needs, right? And so I saw that book and read the title, and I thought, gosh, we need to get that and read through it, and I read the intro, and the intro of the book was all examples of Of lack of gratitude in the life of the author's children. She was like, this thing happened with my kids and this thing happened with my kids. And I'm like, oh yeah, we've been there. That exact same thing has happened. And so I was in and I flipped the page to chapter one. And in chapter one of the book, it changed. And it was all about tracing entitlement in the home and lack of gratitude in the home back to the parent. And the author uh, talked about all the lack of gratitude in her own life and where she sees it and how she's seen it in her life, for all of her life. And she talked about entitlement and all that, and, and then she said this. She was naming how it exists in her heart, taking aim at parents first, and she says, as uncomfortable as it sounds, parents who want less entitled kids have to be less entitled themselves. And parents who want to raise more grateful kids need to start by living more grateful lives. So I stopped reading the book. I just went, like, <laughs> no. Send it back. The point's not about parenting, but we're talking about gratitude this morning, and I want to acknowledge something that I hope to be disarming. There is something about gratitude where it's so easy to spot when it's lacking in others, but it's hard to cultivate when it's lacking in us. It's hard to know where to go. Like I felt that in that moment. Man, my kids kids are not as grateful as they should be. I'm going to read a book and I'm going to fix them. And then I start reading the book and it's like, oh no, that's going to require me being more grateful than I am and being less entitled than I am. And I don't know how to fix that. If I'm answering my own question and I am thinking about my words written down or my thoughts written down and I'm looking for the things that are repeated, I can find a lot of repeated lines in my own thoughts, in my own words. Most of them are not, thank you, God. Some of them are, but not as much as what should mark the life of a Christian who's been spoiled by the grace of God, spoiled by the grace of God. I, I could be wrong about this. I'm assuming something about us this morning. Maybe I am wrong, but I imagine most of the room doesn't actually need to be convinced Of the importance of gratitude. It's something that, gratitude is something that even those who don't follow Jesus know is important and know should be valued. A few years ago, there was a New York Times article that came out, and the author uh, was writing about the holiday of Thanksgiving. It was around this time of year. And they said about Thanksgiving that it is the most psychologically correct holiday of the year. The article said about Thanksgiving, nutritionists hate it, but psychologists love it. Because even for those who don't follow Jesus like we do, even for those who don't come and listen to sermons from the Psalms like you do, uh, even for those who don't you know, believe in God maybe like we do, there is objective evidence in God's world that gratitude leads to a healthier life. It leads to a healthier mental state. There is something about responding to life by giving thanks that is essential to living well for everyone. If that's common knowledge around us, those who don't believe like us in a room like this, I don't think the problem is making the case for growing in gratitude. I think it's actually easy to make. Like if you gave any, and I hope you did, if you gave any thought to the question, what's the refrain of your words and thoughts? What are the repeated lines? You probably felt like I do, right? I have work to do there. If the refrain of the life of the Christian should be, thank you, God, and I take an honest look at me and I dig around at the refrains in my thoughts, it's a lot of, I wish things would change, I wish people would change, I want more than I have, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm angry, and those kinds of thoughts are on repeat, right? It's I can see lots of places where it's I want more than I have, I want more than I have, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm critical of others, I'm critical, of it's the content that I keep coming back to, and what I need more of is thank you, God, thank you, God. Anybody else? Don't leave me alone in my conviction, church, it's rude. Okay, how? How do we grow in gratitude? That's what we'll spend the rest of our time answering. I think often when it comes to uh, being grateful, we think we either are or we're not. It's all or nothing. Like that's a grateful person over there and I'm just not one of them, right? So to be confronted over lack of gratitude is to simply feel bad about it with no path forward, which just leads to guilt and guilt never leads to greater gratitude. The Bible's answer to the how question is actually really simple. The, the starting place to the answer is very simple at least. You become grateful by giving thanks. You grow in gratitude by giving thanks. Last Sunday at Trunk or Treat, uh, we had it last Sunday night. We had a Trunk or Treat event. If you're here because you came to that and and you're invited to church and this is your first time here, welcome. We love you. We're so glad that that you came. My job last Sunday night was to walk around with a big bag of candy and toys and just hand them out to anybody who, who wanted them. And so I saw a lot of faces I hadn't seen in a while. I met a lot of new people and I handed out a lot of candy and toys. And so I'd go, obviously it was mostly for the children, although I didn't refuse any adults, but it was for the children. And what would happen is, is I would open the bag and the kid would dig around and grab what they wanted. And then every single time, without fail, the parent, the adult in charge looked at the kid and said, what do you say? And the kid mumbled, thank you, something like that. (laughs) Now, were they actually grateful? Probably not, right? At least their hearts probably weren't overflowing with gratitude, which I get. They don't know me. They just want to get some milk duds and get out of their costume because it was 95 degrees or something like that. But it was right. That's good parenting. It's not wrong to ask of that, like telling your children to give thanks in, in hopes that it cultivates in them gratitude. At the very least, they know it's the right response when someone gives you something, right? And you see that idea in Scripture around gratitude. Giving thanks is commanded in several places. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Colossians 3, 15 through 17, Think, listen for how often it's repeated. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, give thanks in all circumstances, for it is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's commanded. Give thanks. How do I grow in gratitude? By giving thanks. It doesn't say by feeling grateful. That's not the starting place. Our hearts are a mixture of all different kinds of feelings. It says, give thanks. You say, okay, well, what if I'm not grateful? Do I just recite a thank you and it's just empty, right, because I, I know you're supposed to, and, and I say thank you regardless of what's going on in my heart? Not quite. It's not trying to feed some sort of disparity between head and heart. Here's the idea. At all times, at all times, no matter what is going on in your life, there is something to be thankful for. There's something to be grateful for. So it's not offer up empty thank yous to God because you think he needs it. It's pay attention to the reality of your life that no matter what is happening, there is something to thank God for. That's how Paul can make the argument he makes in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. He's not saying you will never worry. He's saying when you worry, And there's those repeated refrains of worry and fear and anxiety. Fill your heart and mind. Challenge those worry refrains with repeated lines of thanksgiving. Sure, there are things to worry about, but it seems, my friend, it seems that the Bible wants you to dare to believe that there is more to be thankful for than there is to worry about. So the command to give thanks is the invitation for the refrain of your life to learn to match your reality, not to be, uh, you know empty optimism, not to be naive about the difficulties of life. Life is hard. Almost every other psalm that we've talked about in this series has been in response to the fact that life is very difficult and you're not just supposed to brush past or or minimize the difficulties of life. But at the same time, at the same time, our lives are filled with things that the right response to those things in our life is, thank you, God. Thank you. So what we need then is we need to learn new repeated lines. That's where Psalm 33 comes in. Psalm 33 is a psalm of thanksgiving. In verse 2, it says, give thanks. In verse 4, it has the word for, which is a transition word. It means because. And so the rest of Psalm 33 is just a list of things to be thankful for. There are three that it highlights. Psalm 33 gives you three things to thank God for. I want to frame them as thank yous and invite us together to make them part of our everyday life, things that we give thanks to God for. Thank you for life, God. Thank you for your will, God and thank you for your love god those are three things that are always present in your life as long as you're alive thank you for your for life god thank you for your will god thank you for your love god we'll walk through each look at verse 6 by the word of the lord the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth all their host he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap he puts the deeps in storehouses Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. It's the celebration of God as creator. It's a celebration and a declaration of all that God has made. If this psalm is about giving thanks and we turned these verses into a thank you, it would be thank you for life, God. Thank you for life. You made all of this, the heavens, the waters, you spoke, and it all came to be. And and one of the basic responsibilities of creation is to give thanks to Creator for creating. In fact, in Romans 1, many of you who are in our Bible class right now, you will remember a few weeks ago, in Romans chapter 1, Paul's describing the condition of people who are far from God, who don't believe in God, they've rejected God. And here's how he describes it. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So the mark of the unbeliever is not simply that they reject the idea of God. The mark of an unbeliever is that they fail to give thanks to God for all of this, for the life that he's made, for the breath that we take, for the food that we eat, for the beauty that we enjoy. And there's more than one way to reject God. You can do it blatantly denying that he exists, or you can do it by quietly, habitually failing to give thanks for all that he's made. It might not be an ideological atheism, but it is a practical atheism to fail to give thanks to God as creator. The opposite of that is what we find in verse 33. He can just go over and he can gloat on God for being a creator who spoke and the waters obeyed his command and he breathed life into your life and into my life. And the right response to that is thank you for life, God. In Psalm sixty-nine thirty, he says this, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. John Piper says there's, there's two things that the word magnify can mean. Magnify can mean you're taking something that's small and you're making it look larger than it is. And that's what a magnifying glass does. He said there's also a kind of magnification, though, where you're taking something that appears to be small but is actually large, and you're making its grandeur and its greatness more evident. And that's what a telescope does. When a telescope looks at a planet, it's taking something that's massive, and it's making the size of it appear at least to be as great or greater than it is without the the thing. And so thanksgiving is telescopic worship of God. That's what the psalmist means when he says, I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. Uh, The God that we know that is great and glorious and made this world and is the creator behind all that exists, we're going to magnify that grandeur by giving thanks. It reminds us that this life is about something so much bigger than us and it shows us that there's something greater than just the world. Something that's greater behind the world than just what is. And that kind of telescopic Thanksgiving, the starting place is, thank you for life, God. Thank you for this life. Would you add that line to your life, to your day? One thing I'm mindful of, and I've, I've tried to emphasize this in sermons, especially the past year, I'm mindful of the limitations of this moment. We'll, we've talked about this before. We'll talk about it again. Um, There's a limit to this moment just because so much of your life is actually spent, the majority of your life is actually spent outside of this moment. And so if these truths have any shot of making it into our lives, it means it has to make it into our lives beyond Sunday. Make it into your life later today and make it into your life, hopefully Monday through Saturday, right? Uh, Friends, remember, I'm not here to just give a God talk and you're not here for religious entertainment. We're here to be changed. We're here to grow. and, And for that to happen it has to make it into our habits and our, in our actions, especially when it comes to something like growing in gratitude. If the way you grow in gratitude is by giving thanks, then the only shot that anyone in the room has at growing in gratitude is if you decide that you're going to carve into your lifetime of giving thanks. I'm saying that as a person, not just as a pastor. I need that, feeling my own absence in my own refrains of gratitude. So here's what I did this week, something I started this week. It's very new for me. I I, I plan to continue it. I set three reminders on my phone, one at 8 a.m., one at 1230, and one at 930 p.m., and they correspond with the three things that Psalm 33 tells us that we can always say thank you for. And so the first one, reminder at 8 a.m. that said, thank you for life, God. Now at 8 a.m., I'm already up, and I have been up for a bit. I haven't been up for several hours. I'm not one of those wake up at five and seize the day kind of people, right? I'm not a a psychopath, but um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, but I'm up and I've been up for a bit. and, And so the day has already started. And so the reminder at eight that just says, thank you for life. God, the reminder at eight is to interrupt my morning, to make sure that there is at least some sort of competitive refrain of gratitude amidst all the others. Here's what I discovered doing that this week. The natural posture of my heart in the morning At the start of the day is not gratitude. The natural refrain would be something like self-sufficiency. I'm repeating all that I have to do that day already, first thing in the morning, thinking through schedule, thinking through responsibilities, thinking through uh, things that I have to get done. And what that says to me, what that rehearses, even if it's not out loud, is it tells my heart that I believe that life is mostly a task to complete Or I'm repeating the challenges of the day. Like many days, my day will start off and the first thing I'll feel is a little bit of dread for something that's coming. I'll think about the most difficult part of what the day is going to be and I'll kind of begin to dread that, which says life is a burden to endure. Or I'm repeating the belief that I'm already behind. Anybody else? Early in the morning and it's like, oh, no, I haven't done enough already to get ahead i should have woken up at five this morning right to get everything done to get done now i'm playing catch up and what that rehearses to my heart is that i believe that life is primarily a race that you can lose and then the alarm goes off the reminder on the phone thank you for life god and i stop and pray one morning i stopped and i read these verses from psalm 33 and just said thank you for life god and fought for a moment of gratitude that I would not have fought for had I not reminded myself to do it. And in those moments, the refrain of gratitude challenges those other lines. The refrain of gratitude at least confronts this idea of life being a task, or life being a burden, or life, be, life being a race, and it says something much different than that life is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift from a good God who gives good gifts. And the point of my life is not to magnify myself. The point of my life is to magnify God. And my small offering of thanks in the middle of the morning is not just what I need to grow in gratitude. It's what God deserves. It's what he deserves from me. Maybe you would consider adding something like that in your morning. Thank you for life, God. Verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. I love this. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The word counsel here also means plans. This verse, these verses are about the providence of God, to use maybe an older word. It's about his sovereignty. The plans of the Lord stands forever. He orchestrates all things. He's in control. No matter what the plans of the earth are, God can thwart those plans, and his plans are the ones that are left standing. If this psalm is about giving thanks and we turn these verses into a thank you, the way I would say it is thank you for your will, God. Thank you for your will. Sister, brother, one of the core beliefs that we hold as Christians is that God is in control. He's in control of all things. His counsel, his will is bringing about glory for him, but not just that, but it's good for us. Romans 8 says he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, that God, we should be able to give thanks for God's will, trusting that because God is in control, what that amounts to at the end of time is good for us. Now, I know that so many of us have suffered or are suffering. I know that all of us, have things about the way our life has gone that we would change if we could, right? If God is in control, we all have questions about, why'd you allow this? Why would you do this? Why wouldn't you protect me from this? And here's the thing, we can hold those honest questions in the hand and God can handle them. We can hold them in one hand with our disappointments. We can hold them honestly before God. Again, so many of the other Psalms that we've covered are about how to do that and how to offer that to God, but there's something we can hold in the other hand. It's gratitude. It's gratitude. Gratitude for God's will. Gratitude because we know where all of this is headed. We believe in the story of God restoring and bringing beauty and healing. We can grieve that this world is not as it should be. We can grieve that our life maybe is not how we would have wanted it to be. And yet we can have gratitude and we can celebrate that nothing will stop the divine purposes of God. Nothing. Thank you for your will, God. Hear me when we are grateful for God's will. Even maybe one way to say it is, God, I trust you, what you're doing. God, I'm grateful that you're in control. When that happens, we're more mindful of his goodness. Usually if we're trying to seize control, it means we are recounting and hiding in our heart all of our losses or all the things we don't have or all the things we feel that we lack. My mom is one of the best humans I know. I love her so much. She loves the Lord. She's a woman who believes in the providence of God. She's a woman who taught me about the will of God. A few years ago, we were driving together. I think she was coming to watch our kids because Carrie and I were going out of town. And somehow it worked out that we were in a car together for five hours, headed from her house to our house. And maybe it's because we were in a car together, but we started talking about the car that we had when I was a kid. It was this old, beat-up station wagon. Uh, growing up, we didn't have much. We were pretty uh, on the low-income side. Um, four kids in our home, one special needs. My dad made little. My mom couldn't work because of my brother with special needs, and so money was really tight. And our car was a station wagon, and it was in bad shape. The Maybe some of you remember this. The cloth on the ceiling had started to fall down, and it got to the point where if you were in the back seat, uh, if you were in the front seat, you couldn't see anyone in the back seat because the cloth had hung down so low like a curtain. And so my mom had gotten these pushpins and <laughs> stuck the cloth back up into the ceiling with the pushpins. And then me and my brother would always take them and, like, write our names with the pushpins or something like that. It was, it was great. You didn't have, like, a DVD player, okay, so you had to do something when you're in the car. And we laughed about that, and we talked about that, and we just kind of talked about life then. And um, I made a comment about our money situation then as a family and I made a comment about growing up, and, and, and I said something to this effect. I said, we had so little. We had so little. And it was quiet, and I look over, and my mom has tears streaming down her face. And she looked at me and she said, and we had so much. We had so much. And then she began to recount time after time that God provided. And she began to talk about that season as this grace that God gave and she talked about our church then and our family then and things that marked that season of our life that, that that were unique to that season of life and just all the ways that she could trace God's presence in that season. And what I have come to realize church is that you decide in the present how you will remember this season in the future. It's true for every season of life that um, my mom could look back and recount now because she took notice of God's work then. She had uh, believed in a God who's in control, believed in a God whose will is for our good. And so she could see him at work and then she hid it in her heart. And so when her son says, we had so little, she says, I don't remember it like that. I remember all that God had given. I remembered that we had so much. And she could say, yes, among all of the pain, and there was much of it there for us and our family. Among all of that, I could see the whispers of God's love, and I could see the presence of God's grace. And when I look back on that season, I think of somebody who had in abundance so many things that I didn't deserve. If I believe I'm in control or if I believe there's no greater divide plan, I am going to be stuck only seeing what's missing in my life, only rehearsing and recounting my disappointments and losses. I will rehearse the lie that if I just had a little more control, everything would be how I want it to be. But if the plans of the Lord stand forever, goodness if God is working it all out for good then my senses will be directed towards him I will begin to be curious about where God is even in the losses of my life and the disappointments of my life believing that he is good and he is doing good thank you God for your will so I set a reminder on my phone for twelve thirty, to go off every day and it just says thank you for your will God And it's a reminder to give thanks, to try to build a refrain of gratitude. And what I've discovered is that the middle of the day for me is filled with either a refrain of urgency or anxiety. At around 1230, that's the middle of the day. That's enough time to rediscover that I'm not in control. That's enough time for things to not go as planned. That's enough time for maybe you to feel like you don't have enough for the rest of the day. The list of what's lacking has grown by then. Maybe the list of changes you wish you could make has grown by then. And all of that's happening in the middle of the day. And then the reminder sounds. And I pick up my phone and it says, thank you for your will, God. I got into my car on Thursday and at 1230, I'd just gotten in my car and the reminder sounded and I sat for just a moment and felt caught by that. I felt exposed by that because up until that point, it had not been a bad day, but it had been a stressful day. But in that moment, I remembered that this is God's day. It's another day where he reigns over my life, another day where he sovereignly holds not just the world together, but my world together. The plans of the Lord stand forever, and I'm part of those plans. He's welcomed me in, and so my eyes and my thoughts are more attuned in those moments to his provision and his work, and, and, and to see and remember that right now in this season, I have so much. I have so much. Thank you, God, for your will. 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. I love this. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. These are salvation verses. These are verses thanking God for his salvation, that he saves his people. Kings don't save, armies don't save. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God. The eye of the Lord is on those who trust in his covenant love, it says, his unfailing love. His salvation is because of his love. If the Psalm is about giving thanks and we turn these verses into a thank you, it would be thank you for your love, God. Thank you for your love. And we, you, look right at me, you can be really specific here, friend. There might be a lot of things that we have different when we're thanking God for his will, but around God's love, we can all be really specific. What this sounds like is thank you for the cross of Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that while my sin separated me from you, God, you made a way for me to be forgiven and free and changed and loved just as I am. Thank you for your love, God. There was a day, friend, where Jesus took your place. What hope would you have without him? It's his love that covers your sin. It's his love that will raise you from the dead. It's his love that meets you with mercy long after you feel like you've exhausted his mercy. Thank him for his love. Maybe even trace his love as the psalm does. Trace it through your life. When the Jews celebrate Passover, even to today, it's called a Seder meal. That's the meal where they remember the Passover. Maybe you've done that as a Christian even. It's a long meal, remembering God rescuing the people from Egypt. And there's a part of the meal where they sing a song. It's a call and response song. And the title of the song in Hebrew is Dayenu. But in English, what that means is it would have been enough. It would have been enough. And it's this reflection on all that God has done in the story. It's a way to trace God's love and say, even if it had stopped when it didn't, it would have been enough. Here's a portion of it. Had we been taken out of Egypt and not had judgment upon the Egyptians, it would have been enough. Had judgment been upon the Egyptians and not upon their idols, it would have been enough. Had judgment been upon their idols and not their firstborn, it would have been enough. Had judgment been upon their firstborn and we had not received their wealth, it would have been enough. Had we received their wealth enough, the sea split for us, it would have been enough. Had the sea been split for us and we had not been led through it on dry land, it would have been enough. Had we been to dry land and our enemies not defeated in the sea behind us, it would have been enough. And it goes on and on and carries through the end of the story. It traces God's love from moment to moment and says if grace had stopped and not gone any further than where it actually did, it all would have been undeserved. But it didn't stop. It just kept going. Every time it would have been enough, he just keeps loving and providing. And there is only one response to that kind of persevering love. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. How would you tell your story tracing God's love? Here's how I would write it for me, at least part of it. God, if you had just given me breath and not kept me alive for all my years, it would have been enough. God, if you just kept me alive and not saved me in Jesus as a child, it would have been enough. God, if you had saved me as a child and not offered mercy every day, it would have been enough. God, if you had offered mercy every day and not filled my life with people who know me and love me, it would have been enough. God, if you had filled my life with people who know me and love me and not sustained me through loss and pain, it would have been enough. God, if you had sustained me through loss and pain and not done anything else, it would have been enough. If at any point, God, if grace had stopped and not gone any further, it still all would have been undeserved. It all would have been an extension of your love and your mercy, but it doesn't stop. You keep loving and forgiving. And how, God, how many mercies have I known since I thought I'd send away all mercies? And how many gifts have I received after I thought I squandered all that you've given? And how present has your love been after I thought surely you would take it away? And the only response to that kind of persevering love, thank you, God. Thank you, God. So I set a reminder on my phone for 930 at night. Thank you for your love, God. Evening refrains for me are often fatigue and failure, guilt over sin, rehearsing what went wrong, what was left undone. Shame is often loudest at night and it makes for restless sleep. But nothing interrupts shame like gratitude for God's love. It is hard to beat yourself up over failures when you're thanking God that they've already been covered. So the reminder goes off and I get to thank God. Thank you for your love, God. Thank you that I'm already well on the other side of it would have been enough when grace could have stopped and it all would have been undeserved, but it doesn't stop, it just keeps going. So thank you for your love, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his cross. Thank you for his death-defeating resurrection in my place. Thank you that the love that saved me sustains me and won't give up on me until the work that you started in me is complete. Thank you for your love, God. Maybe you would consider making something like that part of your evening. Thank you for your love, God. The refrain of the Christian life is gratitude. And we grow in gratitude by giving thanks, by fighting, by carving out, by orienting our life around a different kind of refrain, a different kind of repeated line. There are things in your life that you can always be thankful for. Build them into your day. Give God the thanks that he deserves. He's worth it. He's worth it. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy We thank you for your grace. Goodness, the messenger feels really far from the message. By your grace, I'm trying. I want to grow. I want to be that old man at the end of his life one day that can't tell his story and can't go a few sentences without stopping and saying, God was so good. I want to be that faithful saint one day that just has a refrain of gratitude, a refrain of thank you, God, just spilling out every time I talk. And I believe that you've made a way for me and any one of my brothers and sisters who desire that like me. You've made a way for us to grow in that. pray that we would take you serious. Maybe, God, we would spend our mornings saying thank you for life. And maybe we would, in the middle of the day, say thank you for your will. We trust you. And maybe at night, right before we go to bed, we would say thank you for your love, God. It covers all that happened today. It'll Meet me in the morning, new every morning. We love you. Amen.